us just pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and all our thoughts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to thank you for the very kind invitation to come here this morning uh, to your PW service in Ballyrushane. I want to thank you, Terry, for your very kind words of welcome, and I do hope Phil gets better soon. Uh, and indeed, just to, uh, I count it an honour to be here. Uh, PW, you know, is a wonderful organisation. Um, and I would like to thank you for all that you do here in Ballyrushane to contribute to the work <clears throat> of the wider church, both at home and overseas. And we've seen some of that uh, through the video this morning. Because your PW is part of an organisation which supports, in part, some 20 deaconesses and trainee deaconesses in congregations, in hospitals, and in communities, bringing Christ's love and Christ's hope into so many different situations. People like Tracy Nicholl, uh, working over in St. James's in Ballymoney, or Sharon Heron, working amongst foreign nationals at the uh, International Meeting Point in Belfast. And in addition, the PW financially contributes to the work of the Council for Global Mission to support couples <coughs> like, of course, James and Heather Cochran working uh, in Portugal. James from your own congregation here in Ballyrushane and Heather from our previous congregation in First Dumbo, and they have a special place uh, in all our hearts. And also Peter and Jane Fleming, formerly First Korean, uh, working now in Nepal. So last year, in addition to what the ladies of the PW give individually to our United Appeal, PW gave almost half a million pounds to the work of local and global mission within PCI. So your PW group here is not passive, it is very active. And through the interest and the prayers and the financial support of the ladies here, along with all the other branches throughout Ireland, it seeks to bring the love of Jesus Christ in the most practical, down-to-earth ways and to provide real fellowship to women in individual congregations. Now, the theme for the PW this year is Restore. So, let me tell you, just briefly this morning, the restoration story of one young man, Joseph. You'll all have learned about him in Sunday school. But let's just recap some of the details. His grandfather is Isaac. His father, Jacob. And he's a twin. And Jacob's twin brother is Esau. Now Esau's big and tough. He's a man's man. Likes to be outside. Jacob, on the other hand, likes to be inside with mum. He's shrewd. And crucially, of course, Jacob is his mother's favourite. 
Dad likes Esau. Mum likes Jacob. Favoritism within the family. Not a good start. You can see where this is going already. And encouraged by his mother, Jacob cheats his brother Esau into receiving the blessing of the firstborn, Isaac, his father. After that, we are told in scripture that Esau lifted up his voice and wept, and Esau hated Jacob. So here's a family with lies, with jealousy, and hatred within it. Now, it's not Jacob I want to talk about this morning. It's Jacob's son, Joseph. But you can't understand Joseph without understanding his background because a person's background explains a lot. There's a lot of not very nice people in Joseph's background. There's his weak and insecure grandfather, Isaac, his scheming grandmother, Rebecca, his crooked father, Jacob, and his wicked uncle, Laban. And he's another nasty piece of work, but we'll not go there this morning. But you know something, they're all used by God. Whilst background can help us understand a person, are we tempted to judge people by their backgrounds? Do we believe, really believe in the providence of God, that God chooses his people from many backgrounds? But back to the story, because it doesn't get any better. Jacob, Joseph's father, falls in love with the beautiful Rachel. Yes, it's a love story as well. And he wants to marry her. But the cheater is cheated. And he marries her sister Leah instead. And then Jacob works another seven years before he can marry Rachel. Now, it's not our culture, but it was the culture of the times. But Jacob is happy because, of course, Rachel will bear him sons. But no. Rachel has no sons. But Leah has sons. Six sons to Jacob. And Leah's handmaid gives him two more sons. And Rachel's handmaid gives him two more, making ten sons. Ten boys now in the family. That would be enough for most folk. And then Rachel bore a son by Jacob. Into this this mess of insecurity and family conflict and bitterness and jealousy, a son is born and his name is Joseph. And of all of this isn't enough, Rachel has another son, Benjamin, and Rachel dies in childbirth. So Joseph loses his mother as a youngster and Jacob is now left with 12 boys. And his grief-stricken father now pours into Joseph all his affection and gives him a special place amongst all the other boys and a coat of many colors. And how the big brothers hated Joseph, just as Esau hated Jacob. 
Only now there are ten of them. History repeating itself. And doesn't it happen so often? But let's move on. Many of you know the story. Some of you will have forgotten it. Joseph has a special coat, simplifying, of course, that he doesn't have to work like all the others. And the brothers hate him because he's his father's favourite. And in addition, he sits there and dreams dreams in which the brothers bow down to Joseph. Now imagine how that goes down. And on top of that, he's a, he's a snitch, he's a telltale, he's a tout. And Joseph takes a bad report about the brothers back to Jacob, their father. So the brothers have had enough of, of this spoiled brat. So they decide to get rid of him, to murder him by leaving him for dead in a deep pit. But then they decide, no, we'll sell him as a slave to some Midianite traders, people, traffickers. There's nothing new traveling to Egypt. The brothers return home without Joseph and show their father Jacob Joseph's blood-stained coat by an animal. And the heartbroken father obviously concludes that Joseph is dead. Another cruel deceit in this family. But Joseph isn't dead. He's a slave in Potiphar's house. And he rises into leadership there and put in charge of the whole household. But Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him and Joseph runs away. Falsely accused, he lands up in prison. Two of his fellow inmates are the Egyptian pharaohs, butler and baker. And they have dreams, and Joseph's good, good with dreams, and Joseph interprets the dream. The butler is released, and Joseph asks him to mention his circumstances to Pharaoh. The butler forgets, and Joseph continues to languish in prison until Pharaoh has a very disturbing dream which none of his wise men can interpret. And then the butler remembers Joseph, who's good at dreams. And Joseph comes before Pharaoh and states that Pharaoh's dream means that there will be seven years of plenty in the land and then seven years of terrible famine. Pharaoh is so pleased that his dream has been interpreted that he hires Joseph to be his second in command only to himself in Egypt to garner the food in for the famine, which everyone knows is coming. Joseph receives an Egyptian name and almost unlimited power. And the plot thickens as the famine spreads and it also affects Joseph's homeland as well as his beloved family. So Joseph's brothers are sent by Jacob down to Egypt to buy bread. Joseph disguises himself, himself and after quite a number of comings and goings, there's finally a recognition scene and a reconciliation within the family. 
Genesis 45 describes one of the most moving chapters in scripture. And we are told that Joseph, when that reconciliation takes place, wept so loudly that all of Pharaoh's household heard it. The brothers are so shocked that they cannot speak. The last time, well, they, th they thought they'd killed him. But Joseph reassures them. And he embraces his brothers. And he weeps over them. And in verse 15 we read, I love this, afterwards his brothers talked with him. Years of silence within the family. And now they're talking to each other again. Restoration. Restoration. And eventually the elderly father Jacob comes down to Egypt. And he dies. And after the funeral, as so often happens after funerals, People are not sure how the relationships are going to work out. And the brothers are unsure if Joseph will still forgive them when dad's not there. And it's then that in Genesis 50, Joseph says those famous words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And it's this little family, now in Egypt, that's the, that is the nucleus of what will become the children of Israel, whom Moses eventually leads out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. So what can we learn from this story in God's word? First of all, our backgrounds. Joseph's family life was messy. It was strained. There were petty jealousies, white lies, black lies, favoritism, rivalries. It was thoroughly dysfunctional. But Joseph, in the providence of God, overcame his complex background. And Joseph the man was used by God on a national level to save lives, and particularly the lives of God's chosen people. God can restore a person to overcome their background. Most of us do not have as dramatic a life as Joseph, but there are things in all our lives which we often would not have chosen, but they happened. Such things can make us bitter or they can make us better. We do have choices. With God's grace, such things do not have to define us. Look at Joseph. He had every reason, every reason to hate his brothers. But in Genesis chapter 45, in that famous reconciliation chapter, he says, come close to me. I am your brother the one you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
There's a famous picture by a, a, a French artist, Charles Thévenin, painted in 1789, uh, depicting this scene. And some of the brothers, you know, are so overcome with emotion that they cannot even look at Joseph. Not much wonder. Joseph's life is a testimony how God can carry a person through. And God can do that for me, and he can do that for you as well. Secondly, God can use the worst of situations for the greatest blessing. As a young man, Joseph was, he was overconfident, he was arrogant, he was self-righteous. He was sold into slavery, just as hundreds of thousands of people still are to this day. And he eventually finds himself in prison. But in Potiphar's house and in prison, he keeps his dignity, his poise, and his integrity. And it seems that God used the worst of situations to change Joseph. Let me tell you a little bit about where I work within the Northern Ireland Prison Service. First and foremost, the role of the prison service is to keep all of us safe by holding people in custody in a safe environment. And that's a challenge, as we've seen recently, uh, with those who are deeply radic radicalised and in prison in London. The first is to keep the public safe. But it's also an opportunity to challenge offenders about their behaviour and support them to change. And ultimately, the hope is for the restoration of that individual, for rehabilitation, for resettlement, and for reintegration back into society. We believe that people deserve a second chance, or maybe more, and every effort is made to help people to change, to reduce their offending behaviour. Now, it's challenging. Around 70% of prisoners in Northern Ireland today leave school between the ages of 14 and of 16 years. And of those, 50% have no qualifications at all. In fact, a small minority of those are not able to read. 89% of prisoners in Northern Ireland today have a history of alcohol and drug abuse. A third of prisoners have mental health issues, much of it caused by addiction. We can't change the beginning, but we can try to change the ending. Rehabilitation, restoration, reintegration, resettlement, it's hard, it's difficult. And today we've around 40 organisations working with the prison service in Northern Ireland, not least a first class team of chaplains. We have the Gideons and we have Prison Fellowship who bring spiritual help. And of course, the PW this year, we're supporting Thompson House, which exists to help offenders on release from prison, which is often the most difficult time of all for prisoners. And I've had so many prisoners say to me that Thompson House really did help get them sorted out and help them as they moved back into society. 
help them with their addictions to substance abuse, help them with their addiction to gambling, help them with their addiction to the downloading of explicit pornographic material. It's challenging work. Please pray for those who work in prisons, especially our prison officers who continue to live under threat. If we can send people out of prison, less likely to reoffend, then we have fewer victims and society as a whole is in a better place for all of us. The worst of situations can bring the greatest personal challenge, but also can bring the greatest blessing. Think of the Apostle Paul, who actually watched while Stephen was stoned to death. And it seems actually that Paul organized it. And yet, once he became a Christian, spent so much of his time in and out of prison and used the situation to bring glory to God. The worst of situations doesn't have to define us. Joseph's life is a testimony to that. God can change people. It is at the heart of the gospel. And finally, Joseph learned to trust God in the dark. And we all have dark periods in our lives, personally, in our families, in the wider community. Joseph was falsely accused. He was left to rot in a prison, even worse than being a slave. It's estimated he spent 13 years in prison, and an Egyptian prison was somewhere where there was no hope. But Joseph trusted God in the dark. And isn't that what faith is? And at the end, he was able to say to his brothers, you meant it for harm, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what has been done, the saving of many lives. And you know, we can see that most clearly at the cross of Calvary. Those behind the cross meant it for harm. They wanted to be rid of Jesus once and for all. And today, just this morning, we sing hymns of praise about the cross. In the cross of Christ I glory. If God can take Calvary, the worst thing that human beings ever did, and use it for the salvation of countless people, then we can trust God in the dark. Three things to remember from this morning. First of all, God can restore a person to overcome their background. That's great news. Secondly, God can change people. It is at the heart of the gospel. That's good news too. It's not easy, but with God's help, we can learn to trust God in the dark. Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, in all things, and think of Joseph's life, 10 hate-filled brothers, people traffickers, false convictions, prison, What's in my life? What's in your life this morning? 
in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him. When we trust him, he will not fail us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, when we think of the wretched experiences that Joseph came through and the miserable existence he found himself in, we thank you, the God of all grace, that you were able to take someone like him and change him and use him for your glory. And we pray this morning that you would take each of us with our backgrounds, with our baggage, with our burdens, known only to ourselves and to you, and use us as we learn to trust you in the dark.